It's also that, like, I know I can't have this. <laughs> yeah. So you're mad at, like, the universe. But I want this. Why does this exist and I can never yeah. have it? <laughs> it's like, it's like, you're on a diet and they say you can't have Cheetos and you're like, I don't even like Cheetos. And they're like, yeah, but you can't have Cheetos. And you're like, well, now I want Cheetos. Only you actually like Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> and these are the best Cheetos. He's the best Cheetos. Chiseled Cheetos. He's chiseled Cheetos. Boston Harbor Horror is about a Coast Guard member who discovers an ancient artifact during a rescue on one of the many islands located deep in Boston Harbor. His subsequent research into that artifact leads him down a dark path that will test his sanity, his relationships, the very reality in which he resides. Boston Harbor Horror is an Asylum 94 production. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at Boston HBR Horror and Asylum 94 PROD. Like us on Facebook at Boston Harbor Horror and Asylum 94. Follow us on Instagram at Boston Harbor Horror and Asylum 94. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Youngray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon. Hello. Hello. I just heard my dog bark right as I said hello. I don't like that sign. I like that. Good good timing, dog. Uh, so, yeah, to start this episode, I kind of want to dedicate this to a fallen listener. Is that a weird thing to say? No, I think that's a normal thing to say okay. in this context. Yeah, so um, a friend of the show, a listener, a patron, uh, somebody that I met in the Cast Junkie Discord server, and she was, she had a really great dark sense of humor, and she would send me pictures that she took of cool statues in cemeteries. Mm -hmm. You know, we had that kind of a relationship. Uh, She passed away early December, and... I think I think everybody in the Cast Junkie server is really feeling it, um, and I just wanted to say, Kari, you were a really fucking rad person, and I'm so sorry that your life ended so sh- short, but our lives were definitely enriched for it. Mm. So... Yeah, I just wanted to shout out Kari because when I found out, I was I was pretty upset, and yeah. you know, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing, and it and it, I don't know. It felt like a thing that I should say something about. Yeah, I agree you know with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's that's the sad thing that happened recently. Uh, and so we, we dedicate this episode to you, Miss Kari. (laughs) 
I hope I hope you like Attica. Don't like Attica? I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, no, there's no way to make a horror podcast be like, I hope you enjoy this. Yeah. In the metaphysical sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, moving on to different sad things. Yeah, let's talk about some different sad things. Different sad things. So, yeah, we came back from a nice long hiatus. We took a nice Christmas break, winter break. It was very necessary. It was so necessary. December was kicking my ass. Sunshine has also had her fair share of ridiculous clusterfuckery in her own life. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And so... And so we just basically took a month off. <laughs> That's, I mean, uh, yeah, God. Oh, man, there's so many things. So, yeah, it was necessary. Yeah, it was so necessary. And... It was good anyway, because we're about to start the prison industrial complex, and so I just needed that time to clear my head and research. Yeah. So, that's going to be a clusterfuck. Look forward to more Crazy Alex. Yay! Yay! But, you know, quick refresher of what we covered last time. We actually really just covered the prison. We didn't even get into the uprising itself. So I guess that's a good thing because we didn't mm -hmm. really leave on a cliffhanger. Yeah. But shit prison, shit conditions. A lot of people from like the city proper mm -hmm. imprisoned, but guarded by, you know, rural average do Joe type person. So just yeah. like a lot of disconnect in social stance. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just, uh, also, the, the prison conditions were real shit. That's for sure. You know, not having adequate food, not having adequate hygiene, not having adequate health care. Like worse in context than others of the same time? No, I think that generally speaking, this is just sort of the way prisons were and are. Yeah. You know? Um, and we'll get into that more when we get into the series. Yeah. Um, but this is really like a big turning point in mm -hmm. the discussion on prisons, especially okay. because in the 60s, which is, you know, right before Attica, there was a lot of social change and a lot of social movement and a lot of the, we were starting to discuss prisons aren't really working. What if we got rid of prisons? Yeah. You know, like we were starting to have some really crazy, cool, big. I didn't realize that was ever on the table or or being suggested. I don't know if it was ever on the table, but it was definitely being suggested by some, you know, modern thinkers. Yeah, especially because, and I'm not, I'm not dropping any. Well, this might be a truth bomb, but I'm not dropping anything that's like new. Prisons are just more slavery. Yeah, you know. And and so, especially considering the, the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s, we were looking at, you know, hey, this is just another form of slavery. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it makes sense. I think that we touched on that in earlier episodes, right? Like, that's a lot of, I mean, the nicest thing you can call it would be like almost like indentured servitude. And it's yeah. not really that even. Yeah, in in that context, you know, it makes sense that the civil rights leaders and activists were at least attempting to put on the table, "Hey, prisons suck. Let's not." <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. You know? And then shortly before the Attica Uprising, in late August 1971, uh, George Jackson was killed. Mm-hmm. Who And he was an activist from prison who who actually had a relationship with Angela Davis. Who, oh, really? Yeah, is that really prominent social activist mm-hmm. who's... Who's still writing about banning prisons and how prisons are bullshit and, you know. Yeah. So uh, one more background thing that felt relevant to the uprising itself, so I kind of saved it for this episode, was the Attica Liberation Faction. Okay. So a group of inmates who'd established as a group out of an unofficial sociology class sent a letter and manifesto to Commissioner Oswald, the commissioner of the Department of Correctional Services. Mm -hmm. So the letter talked about how the people involved in the CGS no longer consider or respect us as human beings. Wow. You know, it was a very, it was a very scathing letter, but like they were saying some very true things. And, and a lot of, a lot of the discussion that happens in Attica and a lot of the discussion that we are going to be having when just talking about prisons mm-hmm. is dehumanization. Yeah. You know, that's a big part of this whole pot, like shit pie. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So the manifesto also had a list of 28 fairly reasonable demands, like legal representation when appearing before the parole board. And adequate food, clothing, hygiene, and medical care. That's pretty reasonable. Yeah. Like, like that's hey, all really reasonable. can we have some fucking basic human rights? Is yeah. basically what they were demanding. Basically what that request was. Yeah. <laughs> and so, Commissioner Oswald was a new commissioner. And his background, he was, he was kind of a forward-thinking dude. Oh, good. But... It's complicated. Drink. Mm -hmm. So his background was both in criminal justice and social work. Okay. So very me and you minded, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And he was actually intending to implement certain improvements to the conditions of prisons because he wanted to focus on rehabilitation over just confinement. Right. Which makes logical sense. Yeah. In, in a world where it's criminal justice services or correctional services, you want to be focusing on rehabilitation, right? I would assume so. But, but you know. But that's not really anything. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, he wanted to focus on rehabilitation. So he actually did want to implement certain improvements. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the demands of the Attica Liberation Faction were things that Oswald had already hoped to implement. Oh, really? At yeah. the time that they sent their letter? Yeah. So, you know, things like medical care and and, and food and hygiene and that sort of stuff. You know, he... Right. Reasonable things. Mm-hmm. He saw the nasty conditions in prisons and was like, yeah, this is not great. <laughs> like yeah. a person with eyes would do. Right. And, um... That said, you know, it's still a bureaucratic system, and so he he was dragging his feet, but so was everything, and so right. frustration is increasing as improvements were slow to manifest. 
Hmm, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> so the initial riot did not actually start September 9th. Okay. It started on September 8th, arguably. arguably. The, the events that caused the riot started on September 8th. Okay. So this guy, Leroy Dewar, had just come out of a week of solitary. He mm-hmm. was keep locked. And I okay. talked about that last time, right? Keep locking? I think so, but the term doesn't sound familiar now. It's basically just you're you're locked in your cell. Rather than like a solitary confinement unit. Yeah. So so they okay. did have a, a shoe, like a, a solitary housing unit, but yeah. most often to deal with troublesome prisoners or as a form of further punishment, they would just keep lock you, which meant that they just didn't let you out of your cell. Ugh. Which, you know, we talked about how much time they spent in their cells. Yeah. It's a pretty fucked up thing. Um, And we'll get into that when we do the prison industrial complex as well. Just the solitary confinement Mm -hmm. aspect of of anything. So so he had just gotten out of a week of solitary. And he was play fighting with another inmate. You know, just sort of horsing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a guard yelled at him to stop. But the guard didn't call him by his right name oh no so he didn't realize he was being addressed yeah. so he kept going right like like yeah like what you, like, like you, do. you do yeah like if i were to be like trying to get your attention and i shouted david yeah that wouldn't work out so well it wouldn't work so another guard uh lieutenant maroney came in to physically intervene mm-hmm and Dewar told him, you know, he wasn't getting key blocked again when he'd done nothing wrong. Yeah, valid. Valid. <laughs> so Maroney attempted to grab him. Dewar, Dewar hit him in the chest. Uh-oh. Not hard, but hit him at all. Yep, that's a problem. And a crowd began to gather. Ooh, yeah. Because. That's what happens. Because an inmate just hit a guard. At all. Mm-hmm. And a second man- inmate, I believe it's possible, it is not 100% a sure thing, but it's most likely, Ray Lamori. Mm-hmm. He stepped in to tell the officers to leave Dewar alone. You know, the crowd was coming. A- and generally speaking, most of the people in the crowd were like, hey, back off, man. He didn't do anything wrong, right? Right. Like, hey, yeah, it was just not, not a thing. Like, calm down. But also, you've got to worry about the power imbalance between prisoners and guards. Right. That's always an issue. And... Boy, it's complicated. So, he continued to rise until uh, Lieutenant Curtis got involved and suggested they drop it for now and sort it out later. Mm -hmm. Now, sorting it out later meant that after lockup that night, Dewar and Lamori were removed from their cells and taken to the solitary confinement wing in housing block Z. Oh, that sucks. And Dewar did not go quietly. He was screaming the whole way. I can imagine so. So the whole prison basically knew that if somebody gets taken to the shoe, that also meant that they were going to get a serious beating. Really? Yeah. So, basically, the entire prison was like, well, this, this is fucked up and wrong. 
Yeah. <laughs> and to make it worse, uh, Dewar was basically carried out of his cell. Ugh. And Lamori went willingly, but by that point, prisoners had started throwing things at the guards as they walked by. Uh-oh. So one inmate, William Ortiz, threw a soup can that struck an officer in the head. Oh. So he was ordered to be key locked the next day. Oh, that's a valid proportionate response. Mm. I don't mm. think so. <laughs> so, um... So September 9th, the whole prison was on edge mm-hmm. because they assumed that Dewar and Lamori were fucking sitting in the shoe with wounds out the wazoo. Yeah. And um, officers also were notified ahead of time that uh, that particular day was bound to be a rough one. Mm -hmm. And so they need to be prepared when coming to work. Now, when the cell block containing William Ortiz, Company 5, went to breakfast, someone threw the lever for Ortiz's cell. Because the lockbox had been left unattended. Oh, let him so out. So Ortiz went to lunch or went to breakfast with his company, <laughs> and officers spotted Ortiz at breakfast and were like, "Oh shit, what do we do? Oh god, oh god!" <laughs> <laughs> so, because they were very smart and good at planning, they decided to take them to the exercise yard like they always did. But then lock the gate at the end of the tunnel, which would trap them at the end of the tunnel. Okay. Which is a terrible plan. Yeah, because then if they're trapped at the end of the tunnel, what's going to happen? Yeah. So also, beyond the plan just being a bad plan, uh, it was poorly communicated. Okay. So the officer guiding Company 5 to the yard was not informed of this plan ahead of time. Oh, no. So when they get to the end of... Of the tunnel, and the gate is locked, the prisoners are confused, and the guard is confused. Oh, whoa. So the guard got locked down there with them. Yep. So oh, that's not good. It's not good. So lieutenant came... Uh, lieutenant? Lieutenant? So lieutenant Curtis came to talk to Company 5, but since he'd been involved in the altercation the day before... They weren't having it. The prisoners believed that this was some plan to get revenge on them for Dewar hitting an officer or for Ortiz throwing a soup can. Right. So Company 5 prisoners decided to jump the officers, which is how the riot started. Well, I mean, and and even if that wasn't the intention, like, I can't, it makes sense that they would feel like it was going to be retaliation, right? If Yeah. I mean, that's basically what was happening, is they were putting all of them at risk. They put every prisoner at risk by trying to get one prisoner out of that way. Yeah. Right? If you're trying to separate one of them out. It, it, it's the scared and defenseless in a corner problem. Yeah. You know? Okay, yeah. Like, you're, you, when you've got a bunch of prisoners thinking, like, okay, I can get my ass kicked by these guards, or I can fight back because I'm locked at the end of this fucking tunnel... Yeah, they're definitely going to be fighting. Like, it was just, it, it was one of those things that was bound to happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it sounds definitely stupid and inevitable. Yeah. So cell block A, which is the cell block that they were 
coming from, Mm -hmm. we're able to break down the gate to Times Square. Did I talk about Times Square at all? Yes, you did. It's the center of the whole prison Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that has the four wings on it. They were mostly able to do this because the weld on the gate was as old as the prison itself. Mm. So they were able to just push it through. So, yeah, uh, you know, a couple of big fucking dudes... (laughs) We're able to knock down this gate because this old ass weld. Mm-hmm. And cell block prisoners start arming themselves with makeshift weapons and football gear. Um, there's a bunch of pictures from the from the riots and from the uprising itself where uh-huh. there's all of these dudes wearing like just padded shit and then like helmets. Oh, that's and great. it's it's weirdly silly. Yeah. Because it's so serious, but then they're wearing like football gear. Yeah, that is kind of really silly. It's, yeah. So they storm Times Square and they attack the guards and they do end up knocking two of them out. Okay. Which, you know, probably dangerous. (laughs) Then they take the guards' keys and they start opening the gates to other cell blocks and then opening individual cells. So they're Mm -hmm. basically releasing all of the prisoners into the prison. Okay, okay. And a big part of the design of this prison was that that structure and that... I, I mean, the whole idea of it was that it was the unrioitable, unuprisingable prison, oh, if yeah, you recall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and so releasing all of the prisoners out into the so main area mm-hmm. at the same time was literally, like, exactly what the prison was designed to not have happen. <laughs> Well, what do you know? What do you know? So some men join. Some men just stay in their cells. Uh, it, it becomes a proper riot. Mm-hmm. Uh, prisoners overtake guards by literally just having more prisoners than guards. Yeah, well, that will happen, yeah. And the prison was understaffed at the time because of budget cuts. Oh. So you've got... It, it, it's like fewer... Guards and prisoners just because, duh. And then way fewer guards and prisoners than there should be because budget yeah. cuts. That's so bad. It's so bad. The communication system was also crap, mm-hmm. which made it so that the prisoners were able to extend the riot into the other cell blocks before guards were properly able to alert each other. <sighs> That's ridiculous. Yeah. Because, like, basically, I think that they had, like, one big... Actually, I don't even know if they had that yet. They had, like, bullhorns. Mm-hmm. But but there's no, like, individual right, calling not, yeah. one part of the prison to the other. Um, it was dumb. It was bad. So eventually, an alarm was sounded. But... Eventually. The alarm being sounded actually gave the impression that somebody was attempting to escape. Okay. So in parts of the prison that hadn't already heard of the riot, everybody thought there was an escape attempt, not a riot. Right, okay. Which is a totally different way of handling things, right? Right. Completely different. The guards are approaching the problems totally differently depending on what wing of the prison they're in. Exactly. So... And and this is this is where it gets like this is just a riot. This is not um wholesome. I mean it's never wholesome. It's it's not uh an upstanding thing just yet. It's just a riot. It's just people okay. 
being angry and scared and fighting. And right, so okay. for the first few hours, uh, prisoners and guards were assaulted. Uh, furniture and other things were broken just for because. Like, mm. they were just vandalizing shit for because. Um, and at least two prisoners were raped. Ugh. So just just proper chaos, you know? Yeah, there's like there's nothing greater good about it just yet. 32 employees were injured and just uncounted prisoners because big fucking riot. Yeah. One guard, William Quinn, was hit in the head hard enough to drop him, and then he was trampled by the chaos. Trampling does not sound like a good way to go. No. Now, he didn't die then. We'll get into his story. But, um... A lot of a lot of stories have reported that William Quinn was thrown out a window. Mm-hmm. He was not thrown out a window. He was hit in the head, which dropped him, and then he was trampled. Which, <sighs> I mean, I mean, part of that is like I want to tell the story how it actually happened, and part of that is it is a lot more sinister mm-hmm. if he was thrown out a window, yeah, than if he was just hurt by the Absorbed chaos by of the chaos. riot, yeah, yeah, because. Well, throwing somebody out a window is very intentional. Mm-hmm. Whereas a riot, it's kind of something that happens to you. Yeah, it's just a it's just a big awful. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's not really any one moral, yeah, compass to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a tornado. So, a lot of prisoners did stay out of the the riot, um, or at least out of the violence of the riot. Mm-hmm. And this is where stuff kind of starts to get a little uplifting. Mm-hmm. I like a little uplifting. Yeah, it's a little uplifting. I will crush your spirit and your soul, but there will be some uplifting first. Okay. <laughs> so several of the Muslim inmates actually ended up rescuing guards, including Lieutenant Curtis. Oh, how nice. And they protected them from the other rioting prisoners. Because uh, there was actually a pretty substantial Muslim population in Mm -hmm. Attica. We kind of talked about that with the chaplains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Muslim population actually continued to be active participants in seeking peaceful resolutions throughout the rest of the uprising. And protecting hostages. Like, that was... It was almost like like this Muslim faction of good-doer guards. Good doer guards. Yeah. That's that's one of the more heartwarming things that happens mm-hmm. in this story is is the Muslim population and how they stepped up. Mm-hmm. There there were also other acts of her- heroism. heroism. So Barry Schwartz was uh was one of the prisoners and he mm-hmm. hid several prison employees, again including Lieutenant Curtis, uh in his cell. And I believe he also, like, cleaned up blood so that prisoners wouldn't find them from the blood trail. Yeah, yeah. And dressed them in uh, prison garb to camouflage. Cool. Like, really hid them. Yeah. I believe Barry Schwartz did this. At least other inmates did the camouflage thing. Like, there were several inmates who... Who really stepped up to the plate of like, okay, yeah, this is a violent, crazy, chaotic thing. I'm going to focus on reducing harm, saving lives. Yeah. You know, this isn't about me versus them. This is just about 
saving lives. Yeah. Which is just really cool. It was super, super cool of them. And and there were other prisoners who found and hid prison employees in their cells. I like that. I hope those people came out ahead. <laughs> I love you. Oh, no. <laughs> so some prison employees also helped. Uh, there was a civilian employee, Mark Eckert, mm-hmm. who hid 55 inmates and nine civilian employees in a maintenance shed overnight mm-hmm. to protect them from the riots. Mm-hmm. Now, the prisoners took 50 hostages, but released 11 throughout the day, most of okay. which were people who were severely injured, including mm-hmm. William Quinn, oh, okay. who was the man who was trampled. Mm-hmm. So so that's kind of the the initial riot. It was like a proper riot, but then there were some people that were stepping up to try to combat the chaos. Right, and gain control. So let's get into the uprising and negotiations. Yes, yes good? Yes, okay. good. So we've talked about how big, awful riot. Mm-hmm. The tone switch... From violent riot to political uprising happened after about two hours of the initial violence. Okay. What made it go political? So the inmates began to organize themselves. hmm So they started moving prisoners and hostages into the yard of cell block D. Okay. And there started to become a bit of an organization system. Okay. So they're moving everybody into the yard while law enforcement starts planning to retake the prison. Mm-hmm. Then law enforcement, prison guards, and New York State Police start moving through the rest of the prison, okay. retaking it bit by bit and putting loose prisoners back in their cells while Cell Block D is doing their thing. Okay. Or, sorry. Yeah, Cell Block D, but the yard. Okay. Okay. So about half of the prison was in the D Block yard. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1,281 prisoners with about 50 hostages. Wow. So when I said 1,300 people, I, I'm i good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the hostages were still being guarded and protected by the Muslim population. Mm-hmm. They literally formed like a human circle around them. Interesting. It was, it was very, very cool. And the organization really started with this dude, Roger Champin. Mm-hmm. who I vaguely referenced last episode. Uh-huh. He was the prisoner who taught himself criminal law. Mm-hmm. And then he helped other inmates when possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So really fucking cool, dude. And he took a bullhorn and began rallying the prisoners together. Mm-hmm. And then other prisoners began passing the bullhorn around. Oh, cool. And kind of making these these political statements and these claims about prison and criminal justice reforms and you know all of these things that these changes that needed to be made and organizing and planning and one of the cool things that they did was they were stressing that this was not a race riot because a lot of the white inmates were concerned because they were technically the minority in this situation yeah but again that was because of racism and so they were a little bit worried that in the situation of a political riot that yeah they would become the victim not be the right place to be yeah exactly so 
Uh, some of the big speakers were, you know, Roger Champin, uh, Jose Quinones, uh, Chuck per- Pernasilis. I should have looked up how to say that. Yeah, I don't Pernasilis. know. Chuck Pernasilis? Sure. Let's go with that. Okay. Flip Crawley, mm-hmm. who, oh man, he, he said some really fucking cool, powerful things. One of his quotes was, if we cannot live as people, then we will at least try to die like men. I like that. Hardcore. Which was a good good quote. And then there was this dude, L.D. Barkley, who was literally, he was 21. He was like a new George Jackson. Mm-hmm. He was one of those young, politically active, smart, imprisoned black men. Okay. Who who just had the right words. And his quote is still used today in um, pro-black movements. Oh, cool. Yeah. So his quote is, we are men, we are not beasts, and we do not intend to be driven or beaten as such. Or like that. Yeah. And so, you know, in researching this, I heard stories from african-americans who grew up with uh like a black power flag on their wall that had mm-hmm. that quote on the flag oh that's cool you know so it it's that quote in particular the we are men we are not beasts yeah was really impactful yeah really to, powerful you know american history <sighs> and and this is where stuff gets kind of cool you're like shit these guys are working together they're 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 trying to improve their situation they're trying to make something politically good change out of this fucked situation out of so they actually start putting together a tent city in the d block yard mm-hmm. and 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 it was everybody working together it was a thousand different people a thousand different ideologies you know you had Black Panthers and um, the Latin Kings and I don't think they had white supremacists yet because they probably wouldn't get along very well. No, probably not. But, you know, Muslims and Christians and and all of these different ideologies, all of these different people coming together and working together and not really focusing on each other's race. Especially because, if you recall, one of the big things at this point that was reinforcing the race separation was the guards. Right. It was, yeah. So without the guards, they just organized themselves. Right. Into, like, not race groups. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they started, they got some people together to, like, volunteer for guard duty or or watch or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. They realized that all of the people who had initially volunteered were, I believe, black and Puerto Rican, mm-hmm. or maybe just black. And so they were like, oh, let's get some white guys on here because we don't want the white guys to be scared that <laughs> right. this is a race riot, yeah. you know? <laughs> so they just they just did some really cool things to just to put aside their differences and work together for creating change. Mm-hmm. So... At this point, the entire prison had been retaken except for B and D blocks. Then the commissioner, Russell Oswald, began negotiating with the prisoners. Mm -hmm. So negotiations begin, and the very first thing that they focus on is medical care. Great, yes. Which includes first aid for those who had been injured during the initial riot. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and for folks with chronic medical conditions. So this is when a lot of those injured hostages were released, which I mentioned. You know, they took 50 hostages, but about 11 were released throughout the day. So Walter C. Swift, who was serving a lifetime sentence for murder, Mm -hmm. but he served as head nurse in his position. He was one of the big proponents for the medical care in this situation. So he administered most of the medical um, care, uh, first aid, medication distribution Mm -hmm. during the uprising. Okay. And he was responsible for most of the hostage releases. Oh, cool. So, you know, it, 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 it just kind of goes back to that, like, I want everyone to keep in mind that, you know, these are these are people from guys that got caught smoking pot to actual murderers, but they're still human beings. Right. And they're demonstrating it strongly in this context. Yeah. Like, I really, really want people to remember that prisoners are humans. <laughs> yeah. Because it's really easy to forget about that. It's There's one so, of the reasons yeah, that this easy. is such a shitty issue. Well, yeah, especially you know? in our modern day and age where they're so, I mean, they're obviously always locked up and out of sight, but I think it's getting to the point where there's so much less visibility there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that when we get into the PIC proper. Mm-hmm. Because, seriously, it's such a big issue. But, like, I want to fucking stress that these are people that are being, (sighs) that are, that are being considered only by the worst thing they've ever done. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's murder. Yeah. Which is bad. But they are still people. Mm -hmm. Period. (laughs) So, around this point, some more lofty demands are are put forward. And I think that this is just a, a, a small group of radicals. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it's not like, we want to kill all of the white people, or we want to kill all of the black people, or it, it's nothing ridiculous, yeah. but it's a little ridiculous. Like, it's, it's completely outside of well, the realm of possibilities. Yeah. So... One of the first things that they ask for is amnesty, and that's going to be an issue throughout this. But they're not asking for amnesty for the riot. They're asking for amnesty for all crimes. Oh, wow. I thought it was going to be the opposite. They're just specifically asking for amnesty for that riot. Like I said, this is the most lofty. It's like an initial, a radical group sent out a a thing, and they were like, what the fuck? No. So the amnesty for everything, they requested transportation out of confinement into a non-imperialistic country. Okay, so what's like, that? like, find me a non-imperialistic country. Yeah. <laughs> like right. a country that hasn't been colonized, there is one. No. There's none of them. Yeah. None of them. No. <laughs> uh, federal government take jurisdictions so they could negotiate directly with federal authorities. Uh, reconstruct Attica prison overseen by prisoners. And this is one thing that they actually was pretty valid, was they established a group of observers that they'd be willing to negotiate through. Okay. And then they demanded that negotiations take place in D-Yard. Okay. So that's kind of the thing that actually does stick from this, Mm -hmm. is is they get a group of observers that, you know, 
and 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 we're talking political leaders and news reporters and lawyers to come in to D yard and negotiate directly with the prisoners so that they can have a fair negotiation. Interesting. That's something that actually happened. And that actually, yeah, carries through the rest of the negotiations. That's so crazy to me. Like, that doesn't seem like a thing that would happen nowadays. Like, a whole bunch of, like, professionals and politicians going into a prison yard to help the negotiation. If I'm being totally honest, I imagine what happens at the very end of this is what would happen nowadays at the very beginning of a prison uprising. So this begins a multi-day effort of negotiations from both sides. Uh Now they adopt a list of 15 proposals Mm -hmm. that are modeled after demands made in a protest at Folsom Prison the year prior. Okay. So these are things like apply the New York minimum wage laws, stop using slave labor. Mm-hmm. Valid. Al- allow freedom of religion in the prison. Okay, also valid. Allow inmates at their own expense, they clarify, to communicate openly with anyone they please. That includes um, taking on restrictions on who they can talk to, as mm-hmm. well as the censorship that was applied to all of their communications. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of censorship in the mail, huh? Exactly. Yeah. They they censored the mail. They censored media. That's nuts. And so the prisoners were, um, were just saying, like, let us talk to who we want to yeah. and let us talk, you know? Right. And a lot of these demands were those reasonable, uh, were those reasonable demands that all Oswald had already said he was interested in establishing. Right. So, negotiations, negotiations, etc. There is problems with the 30 or so observers used for negotiations. Right. Of course. They had way too many observers, and they were way too many people. They had leaders from the Black Panthers, the Young Lords, the Nation of Islam. They had uh, famous attorneys like William Kunstler. They had uh, reporter Tom Wicker. They had all of these observers. From Mm -hmm. all over. And it was just too many to be negotiating through. And so they decided to drop down to only a few observers. As well as... um, They stuck... They stuck with that point of complete amnesty for any prisoners involved in the uprising. Mm -hmm. So they were were no longer requesting amnesty for all crimes. Just just they wanted amnesty for the riot. Valid. That seems more reasonable to me. Totally valid. Because they want to be making these negotiations without fear of retaliation. Mm -hmm. And how do you negotiate if you're concerned that you're going to be absolutely brutalized afterwards for attempting to negotiate? Right. That's terrible. Yeah. So the observers and commissioners' proposals were starting to actually have a lot of overlap. Mm -hmm. But the biggest issue continued to be this amnesty problem. And that was partially because the commissioner technically didn't have authority to grant amnesty. Right. But the prisoners reasonably didn't want to be retaliated against. So it it was reasonable on both sides that this sticking point just wasn't sticking. Right. So what ended up being the resolution to that? (sighs) Well, so on September 11th, 1971, Officer William Quinn died. 
Okay. So he was the one that was trampled. Yeah. Basically, the death of an officer completely removed any chance of amnesty. Right. Probably shook them hard. And negotiations fell the fuck apart. Okay. So observers attempted to get uh, Governor Rockefeller involved, Mm -hmm. but he declined. Oh, of course. Why would the governor Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Rockefeller is such a fucking tool in this story. Oh, really? I mean, he's always a fucking tool, but it gets worse. Yay! Tool bag. (laughs) Tool bag. So, um, on September 13th, Oswald sent a desperate final proposal, but again, it didn't meet the expectations, and inmates again declined. Um, I think that they partially didn't know what was coming. What do you mean? So... Rockefeller, Rockefeller would have to have ordered the raid on Attica, mm-hmm. and Nixon gave Rockefeller his blessing. Okay. So this is something that we'll talk about when we get into PIC proper. Okay. But Nixon. Fucking Nixon. Fucking Nixon. So state police begin moving into Attica. Okay. And this only involved planning the assault. They had no plans for how to go back to normal. They had no plans on how to deal with death or injury or how to deal with anything other than taking back the prison. So all they were prepared to do was, like, contain inmates. Yeah. There were no policies in place to reduce unnecessary injuries or death of the prisoners or the hostages. Great. So... I remember one quote, and I wish I could remember or, or even no- find out which inmate said this, but he literally was like, we're talking about lives. This prison is not as important as lives. <laughs> True. You know? To a certain point, they were concerned more with keeping the prison open and operational than they were. Oh, yeah. This was no. this became about vengeance at this point. Mm-hmm. You know? This was about restoring order. And like... I get it. I get that you don't want to, I don't know, condone prisoners overtaking a prison. Right. I get that. I get that. But also, they handled it. They, They dropped the ball so hard as far as giving a fuck about life preservation. And the prisoners really were asking for completely reasonable things. After being treated like animals. Right. You know? That's exactly what was happening. Yeah. And so... Oh, to make matters worse, uh, the guards at the prison were allowed to take part in the assault on Attica. That which does means, not make sense. Yeah, which means that guards who would have been emotionally invested in the fact that prisoners had taken over their prison were involved in the retake. That's terrible. That's like such a it's bad idea. It's not great. So I'm going to tell you the fucked story of retaking the prison of Attica. Tell me all about it. So it's 9.46 a.m. on Monday, September 13th. Mm -hmm. Nearly 600 law enforcement personnel come to retake the prison. Including power is cut to the prison. Marksmen go to the rooftops, which is with essentially sniper rifles to provide cover fire. Ground units move through the prison and cut their way through barricades that had been set up to block D yard. Mm-hmm. And then gas grenades were dropped by helicopters. Oh man. 
We're not fucking around. A warning was read over loudspeakers, mm-hmm. instructing prisoners to not harm the hostages, to move to the outside corridors with their hands above their heads, and then to sit or lie down. Mm-hmm. There's a story about inmates taking hostages up to the catwalks and mm-hmm. holding knives to their throats. Holy shit. Um, which was like a direct defiance. Do you remember the Waco thing with the windows? Yes. It's kind of that. Mm-hmm. But if we're being totally honest, what they actually did was they put knives to the hostages' throats whenever the ho- helicopters flew cro- close. Yeah, yeah. So they were basically just trying to... It, it was a protect-their-ass thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I remember seeing a uh, a documentary that actually interviewed one of the guards that had been one of the hostages during the prison riot. Mm-hmm. And he he said uh, he said that the prisoner who had him hostage uh, gave him a smoke, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then let him sit down whenever they weren't threatening them with knives. And <laughs> then they only threatened them with knives when the helicopters flew close. Oh, that's so funny. Which is just the weirdest story. I mean, it, it's pretty clear that like the prisoners didn't actually want this outcome to happen. Right. They, they just were just. Were like- this was the only thing they had, yeah. you know? That's where they were at. Yeah. So, oh my God, this story sucks. Once officers had taken their positions on catwalks above D Yard, they began opening fire. Mm. Many of the bullets used during the attack were these bullets known as dum dums. Mm-hmm. They're a very large caliber bullet designed to expand on impact. Oh, that are literally outlawed by the Geneva Convention for use against human targets. This includes in war. Holy shit. Wow. Inmates basically reported it as a slaughter. Sounds and like it. There were inmates who were attempting to surrender who were shot. Um, some inmates were shot at such a close range as to suggest execution. Wow. That's way fucked up. And that probably did happen. Yeah. Within about 15 minutes, 38 people had been shot to death. A total of 128 men were shot, and a month later, one more person died of his injuries. So 10% of the people in the yard were hit with gunfire, and nine of the hostages died. That's so scary. It's in, it's insane. I mean, these the, the prisoners telling the story, retelling the story, basically described it as a battleground. Well, that's Only exactly what it sounds like. Only it was on civilians, because they had no way of fighting back. Right. Basically, the only policy that was put in place before these uh, law enforcement officials came in Mm -hmm. was no hand-to-hand combat because we know they have makeshift weapons. Because we know they have makeshift weapons. Man. That was it. That was the rule. Otherwise, they just sort of opened fired. And, you know, with these... With these expanding bullets, you had people who literally were having their heads blown off. (sighs) Because there were no plans for medical treatment, Mm -hmm. many of the injured went hours without having any treatment. Mm. And also, without plans to identify bodies, many families went days to, I think, a week and a half without even learning of their family member's death. Whether they were a prisoner or a guard or, or a prisoner or a hostage. Yeah. I believe most of the hostage deaths were quickly acknowledged oh, okay. but of the prisoners not so much so yeah exactly again treating them like they're not important like they're less than human 
Yeah, because I guess they weren't. So, after retaking the prison, prison officials make this public statement essentially claiming that the hostages who died were all murdered by the prisoners. Oh, really? And they'd... Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then they claimed that the hostages who died had their cl- throats cut by prisoners before the assault on the prison even began. And the news runs with this story. Now, there were two surviving hostages who were injured with knife wounds to their necks. Both said that the knife wounds occurred after the open fire began. Mm-hmm. And also they fucking survived. Yeah. Days later, the coroner finds that all of the deaths, all Every single death, all of the deaths in D-Yard on September 13th were caused by law enforcement's bullets. So even the ones who had their throats cut? The two surviving hostages? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think none of the um, hostages who died Mm -hmm. had their throats cut. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, basically, they just came in and they opened fired until there was no more chaos because everybody was on the ground, either dead or, or too hiding. scared to move. Yeah. And then they came in and after Attica was retaken, even more unnecessary violence took place. Great. So all of the prisoners were expected to get naked. This, this part makes some sense mm-hmm. as many of the prisoners were armed. So, you know, it's kind of like the cavity check that you do when you enter a prison. Yeah. That said, a lot of them were left. I mean, basically all of them. All of them were expected to get naked. And then they were just left naked for hours. And they were forced to crawl through mud and blood and concrete and broken glass with their naked bodies. Uh, Why did they have to crawl? Because. Like, it, a lot of it was like, oh, we can kind of sort of justify this for safety reasons. But for the most part, it was just vengeance. It was just about vengeance uh, at this point. That's what it sounds like. Prisoners were physically assaulted. They were hit and kicked and ashed on with lit cigarettes. Uh. Uh, prisoners were hit in their bullet wounds with the butt of guards' guns. Prisoners were then expected to run the gauntlet. And run through corridors lined with officers who would beat them as they ran through. What? How is that even a thing that, I mean, like, uh, how is that even a thing that can be legally allowed? We don't care about prisoners, is my best guess. Mm. I mean, basically, we're allowed to commit these insane, atrocious crimes against humanity because they did something bad, so we don't care about them. Mm. That's what it seems like. So if you scroll down. Yeah, uh, I've seen this picture. don't know if I can put this on Instagram. I might just sneak it in there. Because of the wieners? There's definitely a lot of wieners. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, basically, it had rained the night before, so it was super muddy and wet and cold. I mean, this is upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And they're all naked. Just naked in lines with their hands above their heads, just walking or crawling for hours. That's just, like, what they made them do? They're Mm -hmm. just torturing them? Basically. I mean, that's basically what it is, is that they start torturing the prisoners. And, oh my god, this absolutely... What is that supposed to achieve? Vengeance. That's all they're looking for at this point. Yeah. They're not... They're they're not rehabilitating. They're not even trying to find an end to chaos. Right. They're They're just getting their anger out (sighs) on these prisoners. 
that makes me feel so much better about like making Al Pacino jokes to kids when they're like oh yeah because you're not going to absolutely beat a child within an inch of his life after he pulls no, some shit I can just tease them for being stupid yeah that's allowed yeah I feel like that <laughs> is allowed isn't it because you're still treating the kid like a fucking human being yes that's a big part of it yeah and this fucked me up even medical personnel got in on the savagery. Uh. I I remember reading some story about um, uh, medics teasing prisoners about their wounds wow. or laughing at them for being in pain. And then there was this one story. I don't remember if this was a medic that did it or if it was a medic that was present, but essentially a prisoner was being held and somebody running start kicked him in the head. Oh, my God. And he just went limp. And that's the story. That sounds like murder. I, I think he survived. Holy shit. But attempted murder. <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. I mean, it was horrible. It, it was... <sighs> like, that's like some crazy sociopathic, like, kick the football yeah. kind of shit. Yeah. Yeah, and they did they did all sorts of just fucked up stuff. And uh, I, I, uh, I'm at a loss for words. Clearly. <laughs> which I'm usually not. <sighs> it was just, it was so fucked. It was so fucked. Because literally, I get it. I get it. You're a guard and not every single guard was in and and all about the mistreatment of the prisoners right. in Attica. But whatever kind of guard you were, whether you were a shitty guard or or decent human being guard, I get mm-hmm. that that you're like I'm just doing my job and then these prisoners fucking riot and and they try to take over the prison and I'm just trying to do my job right. and like I get the anger and frustration. I can see how scary of a situation that would be. Yeah, I get I get that it would be really difficult to come back to work after that yeah for sure but the problem is the prison policies not the prisoners right well obviously whatever made it so that these so that they felt the need to riot and overtake the prison so that they could literally demand things like reasonable food and hygiene and health care right and i think it demonstrates that like it's not just a criminal action for the sake of it by criminals who are out of control because they demanded reason- reasonable things, right? Oh, yeah. This is the kind of thing that you or I would do. Right. If it's just like a, you know, oh, well, criminals will do criminal things, then they wouldn't demand reasonable things when they did it. They would like, you know, if they were purely just acting on criminal impulse because they got the opportunity, they'd rec- they'd, they would want like money or a helicopter or whatever. They wouldn't be trying yeah. to get decent conditions to be to continue <laughs> their sentence. Yeah, no, they just wanted they just wanted to be treated like human beings while they finished their sentence before they tried to go back into the real world and live like human beings. That's all they wanted. And and they were murdered for it. I don't like that. So, after everything had settled, there were three more inf- inmates that had been found stabbed to death. Mm-hmm. Including Barry Schwartz, who was that inmate who'd hidden the guards in his cell mm-hmm. during the initial riot. That sucks. So that's really sad. Yeah, that's terrible. And that one, 
probably like those three inmates who died during the Attica uprising were probably killed by fellow inmates mm. because they were stabbed to death. Right. Okay. So <sighs> a year has passed. It's December 15th, 1972. The assistant attorney general, Robert Fisher, begins announcing the Attica indictments. All 61 indictments are against inmates. No member of law enforcement involved in retaking the prison are ever indicted. That doesn't make sense to me either. Then in 1976, Governor Hugh Carey announced clemency for the prisoners involved in the riots. So I do believe that of the indictments, eventually they all got dismissed. Mm -hmm. Good. But still, they brought charges against... Yeah, no, that doesn't work. (laughs) Oh, I forgot to mention, one of the people who died during the Attica raid, which is weirdly suspicious, was L.D. Barkley. It's kind of weird, out of a thousand people, yeah, one of the people to die is the person who is the most known for, yeah, who's outspoken. That's totally just coincidental. A little bit George Jackson, yeah. So then in 2000, the state settled a $12 million lawsuit with a class action of prisoners from Attica over the brutality in 1971. I wonder how many prisoners that was. I'm not sure, but I know that it's not enough. Yeah, I'm sure it's you not. Know? Yeah, if it's not all of them, it's not enough. And $12 million is not enough. $12 million divided by, among 1,000 people? Yeah, no way. <laughs> You're probably barely going to cover your medical costs. Yeah. If that. If that. <laughs> So the retaking was just, it, it was savage. Mm-hmm. It was it was brutal. It was, I mean, law enforcement really proved who the real animals were. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, I keep on, like, scrolling back to that parading, parading them around naked out in the yard. Like, that's just, and mm-hmm. what's all that stuff piled in the background? The tent city. Not their clothes. The, okay, the tent yeah, city. Yeah, the leftover and the clothes. Yeah. And there are other images that I opted out of. Mm-hmm. There, like, there was some of them making them crawl. And I was like, you don't need to see that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's too much. I figured, I figured I'd show you this picture. Because I, well, because I want you to see how horrific it was. I just don't want to yeah. give you nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. So then the aftermath, there's, there are a lot of reforms that Od- Oswald had been planning that were implemented after the uprising. Okay. Uh, many matched the demands of the inmates during the uprising. Oh, how nice. So telephone booths were installed, which made it so that, you know, they could communicate yeah. with people, as well as uh, the library was expanded, which was one of the things that they were asking for, was like more reading material, more education, more, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Opportunities. A lot of censored materials were reevaluated, re-reviewed, and about 55% more materials were allowed through. Oh, good. Than had previously been censored. And if you recall, it was a very racially censored yeah. materials. Mm-hmm. They were targeting um, media that was meant for black and Puerto Rican audiences. Right. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the language thing. Mm-hmm. And um, also, most of these reforms were already planned. So. So it feels like kind of like the uprising know, was for naught? Kind of, Yeah. And and that said, you know, there's these reforms that were done immediately, but the conditions of prisons overall have not actually changed much since then. And right, reforms on paper are one thing. Mm-hmm. And in some cases have become worse. 
you know, yeah. more time in solitary confinement, more restrictions and and more treatment like they're non-humans, yeah. you know? So most likely, Nelson Rockefeller decided to have the prison stormed because he was thinking about his political career over the oh. lives of the people inside D-Yard. Yeah, that would make sense, too. Rockefeller was hoping to run for president. Mm. And the Republican Party was in the process of moving more and more right. If you recall, Nixon is president right, at this right, time. Right, 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 right. So they're getting more conservative. They're getting more conservative. So this is kind of, you know, an indication in... in this is a turning point mm-hmm. for prison reform. Prison unreform, really. Yes. It's a pivotal moment in the American criminal justice system. The 60s is about civil rights, and and they're talking about maybe prison reform and maybe treating human beings like they're human beings. Mm-hmm. And Attica begins as this riot that earnestly becomes a peaceful protest. Yeah. Like, a peaceful protest making immensely reasonable demands. But then they're not treated like that. But, and this is this is kind of what, what, like, it was a savage, awful, terrible story. But this is what makes it a Palm Pitch Pod story. Okay. This is the effect on everything. Mm-hmm. Because prison officials initially told the public the story that the bloody prison retaking was caused by prisoners murdering hostages. Mm. The public is given the impression that prisoners really are animals and are not worthy of basic human rights. Mm backfires on them and prison reforms go straight down the drain and the tough on crime mindset is solidified in our country right of course so (sighs) that's what really kills me about this story is it was taken out of context so effectively to be a means to a different end yeah the story was twisted so hard that (laughs) that it actually ended up making things worse. But it wasn't their fault. It wasn't the prisoner's fault for the misbehavior of the government. Right. But uh, it it was just so in vain, you know? Yeah, that's upsetting. It just just fucks me up so hard. That said, this story is also a legacy that continues to inspire prison reform and basic civil rights movements. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the Attica chant. Yeah. And on September 9th, 2016, which is the 45th anniversary of Attica, inmates in prisons across the country went on strike in protest of slave labor used in the prison industrial complex. Hell yeah. And pretty much all of the issues that were brought up in Attica are still issues that prisoners face today. Of course they are. (sighs) So... That's our introduction to... Because why would we want criminal justice to actually, like, rehabilitate instead of just, like, housing people? Yeah. That's so bad. And that leads to worse behavior, too. I see it in my job, where when kids oh, yeah. aren't, aren't successful or their parents keep moving the bar and so they're there all the time, or they're there mm-hmm. for an extended period of time, wait, when, once they're there longer than what our program is designed to have them, their behavior starts... Like, they become weird and antisocial and their behavior gets worse again. Mm-hmm. Because people aren't designed to live in those kind of, you know, and where I work is far, far, far from a prison. But yeah. even... But it's a rehabilitation center. But even that level of, like, control and isolation, like, yeah. makes people fucking weird when they're there too long. 
And you end up turning somebody out into society who is incompetent or incapable or misbehaves or is problematic just in a different way than when they went in before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's two, you know, criminal justice theories that uh, are really important to bring up with that. The first one is you treat somebody like a criminal, they act like a criminal. Yeah. You know, people... uh, (laughs) People have a a drive to behave the way they're expected to. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to the doctor and you behave more sick than you are. Yeah. It's a social script thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so literally, you treat somebody like a criminal, they act like a criminal. Oh, for sure. I see, I've, yeah. Also, <sighs> giving people alternatives, you know? uh distracting them by it's it's the 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 shitty kid in class thing you give them a task you give them a job to do you give them something to be responsible for they stop acting up yeah you know yeah and so if you're just throwing people in like me you know same with your program going longer than it's intended for Mm -hmm. you you throw somebody in a place and don't give them anything to do right don't give them a way to rehabilitate or be a productive member of society yeah then then they have no they they have no knowledge of how to behave other than how they already knew how to behave yeah exactly you know like we're not dropping out of nowhere truth bombs these are completely established facts yeah, that we just refuse to acknowledge that's what i was about to say these are facts that are like uncomfortable for people well i mean that's the whole thing about the it's complicated thing yeah is that it's a lot harder to deal with complicated problems than it is to pick a scapegoat, wash your hands, walk away. Yeah, I think people definitely want to ignore complicated problems, like hardcore. That's the method. And so this series is going to be big time. It's complicated. Oh, it's complicated. And the solutions are going to be difficult and require thought and effort and compassion. Go figure. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Compassion is such a basic principle you'd think as a quote-unquote Christian nation we'd have that down by now. Oh, man. We're going to get into that, too. Oh, goody. Yep. <laughs> We're going to cover all of these things that are going to make us super uncomfortable, and it's going to be great. Yay. I don't love <sighs> that. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess... This is a good update for both our listeners and for Sunshine. Yay, update for Sunshine. <laughs> we're we're going to be doing this week on, week off. Yes. Because we cannot, partially because the research is so intense, but also because, like, it's heavy on the soul. Yes, it hurts a little bit. And so we just can't have this be what we're diving into for however long it takes us to dive into it. Right, we can't only Week after this. week after yeah. week. Like, y'all saw me how crazy I was after doing Just Consequences and American Terrorism, and we weren't even on every week's schedule yet. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to have a week of uh, prison industrial complex, and then we're going to have a, an off week where um, we'll interview people or we'll do little stories that aren't as awful or at least are very, very different. Yeah, at least give us enough variety in our awfulness so we don't feel overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, 
And so that's what you have to look forward to for however long it takes me to finish telling you about how much our criminal justice system sucks. All the reasons why you shouldn't go to jail. And then we're definitely going to finish out this series with interviewing Kate Walinga from Ignorance Was Bliss because she was a uh, psych in a prison for a while. Like that was her career for a while. So she's got that that inside knowledge. I would definitely <laughs> like to hear her perspective. That's great. Yeah. And she's been bugging me to come onto our show for a while. So oh, lovely. I owe her. Yeah. <laughs> owe her. Uh, and that's it that's our that's our attica that's our intro to prison industrial complex yay i can get my doggy and go to bed i'm sorry i was falling asleep i was trying so hard i believe in you you are a strong independent woman uh, that don't need no naps oh i don't feel like that (laughs) i feel like i need 10 naps you might i think i need to just sleep for 10 days like i'm not even kidding maybe you can do that all in tomorrow i wish i could just like (laughs) I wish that mental health care was good enough that if I just, like, lapsed into a depressive episode and slept for 10 days that I wouldn't lose my job. That'd be great. Yeah. I wish that you could lapse into a depressive episode and sleep for 10 days and then come out of the depressive episode. Yeah, that'd be, that's what I want to do. I want to sleep it off. Because, feel- bitch, I would lose Jeez. my job for that. <laughs> I feel like I could. I feel like that if I was able to do that, I would just come. I would just. So many of my problems would be solved. If I could sleep <laughs> for 10 days, 10 days think, of naps. Yeah, I think that uh, the mental and emotional instability that comes from just life in general would melt away. <sighs> well, let's see if someday we can make any money off of this podcast and hopefully God. we can get sunshine 10 days of naps. Oh, that'd be so brilliant. Be so brilliant. <laughs> we'll make that we'll make that a big Patreon tier. Hashtag Sunshine needs ten days of naps. It'll be like it'll be like five hundred a month or a thousand a month or something, you know, ridiculous. And 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 it'll just be labeled Sunshine Ten Days of Naps. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> Basically, can you pay Sunshine's mortgage this month? Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Let her sleep. All right. All right. Um, all of the things. I appreciate all of you guys for listening and for bearing with us when we took a month off for mental and emotional health. Yeah, pretty and much. And also because holidays are ridiculous and because why did winter have to be a thing? Why winter? Why? <laughs> I appreciate all of you. I just got this really sweet fucking uh, sweater from the Bird Brain podcast. So if you want a fucking sweet sweater with a cool ass, super colorful, like watercolor, like kind of watercolor hummingbird, hummingbird on it, beautiful. That's like way soft and snuggly. Check that shit out. And then, you know, all of our social media, Palm Pitch Pod for, for everything, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And you know, if you like us, follow us. Or or leave a review or or comment or chat us up. Or email you can hit us, us up at the Cast Junkie server. And um, if you like us a fuckload, you can donate to our Patreon. And which goes to very important things like getting me new computer cords when my dog chews like getting them. sunshine a new computer pro- cord so we can keep recording. Very important. Our 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 Patreon monies have already been reinvested into the podcast. Yes, they have. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> I think everybody's emotionally exhausted. Yes. I think yes. so. I think that's life right Look now. forward to more of that. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Not all right. I love you all. All right. Okay. Love you bye. Love you bye. <laughs>
How did you hashtag wake up like that? <laughs> <laughs>